Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Mike Hanlon, Senior Restaurant and Food Service Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Scott Taylor, CEO of Walk-On Sports Bistro. Thanks for doing this, Scott. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, too, man. It's been too long. It has. It has. First things first, what's Blackout Bingo? Oh, dude, it's fun. So uh, you saw our little Fiesta Blues on. So, man... um, we came up with this cool idea, you know, like my wife and I own this timeshare, like what do you do with a timeshare? And like, we always have these extra weeks. And so we just started thinking about how can we, you know, give out this week to like somebody on the team for doing cool stuff. And so we just came up with this idea of Fiesta Palooza. It's four games of chance, no skill required. So starts off with, um, uh, dice. And if you make it through that round, then you get into rock, paper, scissors, you make it past that round, then you get into like uh, war, like the card game, like whoever gets the most, and then it's blackout bingo. And whoever wins blackout bingo wins a trip. And all we tell them is like, you're going to need a passport and sunscreen, or you're going to need uh, this or that. And then so this year we sent a guy to Punta Cana, um, one of the guys in our uh, IT department. It was just super cool. So just a culture builder, and of course we. It's a half day. We started drinking margaritas at like 11. You know? So I guess that's where the blackout comes from. Yeah. Everybody kind of blacks out at the end, but yeah, you, you blot all your numbers. You get a blackout. <laughs> ah, that's great. And we'll, we'll that's, get that's a grandma game. It's a yeah, lot that's awesome. Yeah. And we'll get more into the culture because I think it's very important uh, to the story here. But uh, for the listeners that don't uh, that don't know walk ons, uh, can you talk a little bit about how the, the chain got started? Sure. So uh, founders were uh, both uh, walk-ons on the LSU basketball team back in the late 90s. And so if you don't know what a walk-on is, a walk-on is a non-scholarship athlete. Basically, they're the practice squad. They sit the, they had the last two seats on the bench. Um, but, you know, their job is to practice against the starters to make them great. You know, and, uh, you know, Brandon Landry our, is our founder uh, and, the, and uh, chairman of the board here. And uh, I think his story is he played 12 minutes his senior year. For the whole wow. season, so you didn't play a lot. You know, that's like you're doing super, super cleanup, or you're either winning really big, or you're just getting destroyed. So, like, put the walk-ons yeah. in, let them get them in. You know, but uh, what's cool about it is, you know, first off, they figured out real quick they weren't going to play in the NBA, um, and so came up with this idea. You know, traveling around the country, going to all these great college campuses in the SEC. You know, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and all these campuses had that place to go. You know right by campus, by the football stadium. And uh, Baton Rouge and LSU didn't have anything on the on the side of campus where you had all the, you know, basketball, the Maravich Center, the Tiger Stadium, Alex Box for baseball. And so they, there was this great piece of land that came available that shared a property down with the LSU. And, and uh, Brandon got his dad to, like, buy it quick. 
had this idea for a restaurant, and his dad says it was good real estate. I don't know if my son would ever be a good restaurant tour, but it wasn't a bad investment. So he bought the dirt, you know. And then uh, these guys were in college, kind of did this as a school project. Um, the walk-ons restaurant got a C on the project just because they weren't restaurant guys, um, you know. And uh, but was cool. The the professor said, "Hey, if you guys are serious, I like the idea. I'll help you long term put this together in a business plan." Which he did. Very cool. Um, then you know, get out of school, they dabbled a little bit bartending here or there, trying to figure out the restaurant business. You know, started going to banks, finance, kind of to to get this thing going. And you know, first six banks said, "You guys are great, but no way. Too much risk. Get on the restaurants." You have no assets, like we're not going to do anything. And so, you know, but they went to the seventh bank, that walk up mentality kicked in, never take no, you know, for an answer. And seventh bank said, you know, if you guys are willing to bust your tail, we'll back you, you know. And so they, they got that SBA loan back in uh, 2002 and opened the original restaurant, which is right across the parking lot from our office here in 2003, September 2003. Um, so uh, it's been a cool run, but just think about that date real quick. We can come back to do it. September. What's happening in the fall, September, if you're at a campus in South, you know, Southeastern Conference? Busy. Freaking football. Busy. So you're going to open a 10,000-square-foot, 350-seat restaurant with no experience right when football starts. So, um, you know, uh, like <laughs> the early nicknames for walk-ons were wait-ons or walk-outs because <laughs> you couldn't eat food or you didn't want to get – you want to eat it when you got it. It was just like – it was just bad, bad, bad as it could be, and you know, but um, – you know, the, the brand really kind of grew with these guys. And I think the fact that they were walk-ons, they just endeared themselves to the community. And, you know, like, sorry, Michael, we messed up your lunch for the sixth time in a row. And please give us another try. And here's more gift cards. And, you know, and so, you know, those early years of just, you know, getting kicked in the teeth and not know what you're doing, they just kind of figured it out and, and rolled. Uh, but I think that sense of humility, sense of just, you know, being honest and always being open to help, just trying to get better, not being big head. I'm the founder, man. Don't, you know, like they really kind of figured it out as they went. And, and, and here we are today with you know, 75 restaurants and 11 states and growing. And uh, the fact that they were willing to listen, I, I guess that's part of the reason why you're still here. Can you talk about, uh, you know, how you, when and how you first got involved with walk-ons? So it's it's a it's a funny story. So you know, the restaurant business is a small business. Everybody knows everybody, and so uh, you know, I'd been with uh, Beef or Brady's in Tampa, and we'd sold our concept to private equity. And I had this you know period of time I was helping with the transition, and then I had some time I could chill. They were paying me, you know, to sit at home, and I I think one week into riding my bike, I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> I, I got to do something. And then uh, a friend of mine reached out, said she was working with these guys in Baton Rouge. Do you mind, you? Know, Funny story, I won't say, but like, can you help me write a food safety program? That's kind of where they were at still in 2010. And I'm like, sure. came up and, you know, got to meet uh, with some of the team and saw some of the opportunities that were here from a food safety uh, standpoint at that point. And um, there was, you know, for our fresh set eyes coming in, there was just so much that needed to be done, you know. And it's like, how do you, like, deliver the message? Like, I know it's your baby, but your baby needs a bath and some new clothes, you know, but it's, it's got a great concept. And these guys were like, man, if you can help us be better, we just want to be better, man. Thank you for coming. And I'm like, I'd never met entrepreneurs, founders that were so humble and just like, tell us what we need to do. Like, we just want to be better. And so that, that's kind of where it clicked for me. And I was going back and forth from Tampa for a while before I decided I would move my family to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, uh, but we moved here and, 
you know, in 2011, I've been here, gosh, going on 13 years. It's been a good run. Uh, very cool. So, uh, you know, I covered Buffalo Wild Wings before it went private, and the impact of the sports calendar on sales was incredible. And you kind of alluded that, alluded to that. Uh, we're talking about Walk-On's first um, first store. Uh, how much do, do sports impact your planning, and and how seasonal is your business? You know, early on, it was very seasonal. You know, and and. Um, you know, the original location here at LSU sales would fluctuate. Even in 2010, we would fluctuate. God, sales would drop off 60, 70% when, when campus was empty because we were just that place for students or when there was a game. Uh, today, I think our sales dip maybe uh, 10% when the students are gone um, because we're very much a restaurant. And, you know, early on, walk ons. Uh, Walk-Ons was on that path to being a prototypical sports bar for a long time, and so you were relying on games and food was kind of secondary. But we've really changed that mindset where we're very much a restaurant. So, you know, uh, sporting events are kind of we call lanyap. You know, it's a little extra. Um, but uh, no, man, we don't rely on sports. It's football's fun, um, but it's crazy and people sit longer. You know, I like a Wednesday night, man. People are coming in and rolling, returning tables, and we can do the same kind of volume. Um, because they're coming for the food, and, and, and that's kind of the hero now. Yeah, and you have a unique menu. Um, are there any signature dishes you think your customers have to try? And, and what are some of the most popular items that you sell? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we have amazing burgers. We sell a bunch of burgers. But I think the uh, the duck and andouille gumbo um, will change your life. Um, I think the crawfish etouffee, which is just a traditional South Louisiana, don't call it a soup because it's not a soup. It's not a gravy. It's not a bisque. I don't really know what you call it, but it's just really good. Um, fantastic. So it's probably 20% of the menu is traditional Louisiana cuisine, but I would do, you know, the voodoo shrimp and grits, you know, big jumbo, 1620 gulf shrimp. We peel in-house fresh stuff with cream cheese, jalapeno wrapped with bacon, served over sweet corn grits. I mean, it, it, some good stuff. And then also, if you're if you're a dessert person, if you're not, we make uh, crispy, crispy cream donut bread pudding in-house with all do- all donuts Damn. in it um it's ridiculous dude it's like, <laughs> it is ridiculous so you definitely i would do that the donut pudding for sure oh that sounds fantastic and making me hungry i uh, had earnings darden's earnings this morning so i haven't <laughs> been able to eat yet <laughs> oh lord <laughs> So have you changed the menu since the start of the pandemic? You know, a lot of peers in the industry have have kind of paired the menu and they've uh, tried to put some more maybe new items on the menu that travel well. Um, has What's been, you know, what's been Walk-On's policy on that? Yeah. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were, we were watching. Like, we were probably some of the people saw it coming. They think it'd be like what it was, which shut everything down. But I was like, man, people are going to be getting to go, like, some, they're going to freak out. Like, let's just have some things in queue. So we added a lot to our menu with uh, to-go family meal packs, things like that. We were doing margaritas to go because it's Louisiana. You can do that. We had that stuff kind of rolling early. Um, and then when the when we had to shut down our dining rooms, we, we kept the full menu. Um, or a lot of restaurants, I think, cut way back because of labor. And which like we, we just wanted to continue to serve what we serve. And, and so, you know, Things we've added, things that have changed, you know, to-go is still, I mean, gosh, our to-go went from like, you know, 7 8% to like 100% because we had no dining rooms, right? But we were we were fortunate because we had, had, had created this 
love for the food that we clawed back 80, 85% of our sales at no dining rooms just to wow. go, which was ridiculous. Wow. And so, you know, um, I don't think most sports, you know, think of most sports bars and people like, let's get those freezer to fryer cheese sticks, you know, like they were coming in for a fresh salmon and st- like made really good food. So, but, you know, certain things travel better than others. Fried food's tough. And so we looked at packaging. We looked at alternative things for sides, introduced some different stuff that, you know, probably traveled, traveled a little easier. But um, we've always kind of had our, our, our thumb on the, the pulse of like just being innovative with the food. It's got to be flavorful. You know, we, we don't buy anything that's pre-breaded or frozen that goes in a fryer. I mean, very much a scratch kitchen. So, you know, it gave us a chance to kind of innovate and then, you know, there was a value point where people were freaking out and they didn't have jobs. And, and so you had that, but you know, we, we kind of settled back into just like this cadence of like quality food and, and then driving technology on the side of like carry out. Okay, cool. Uh, and we touched on the culture, uh, at the top and, uh, it really seems to be a strong differentiator for, differentiator for the brand. So can you talk a little bit about the culture, uh, the rumble, uh, yeah, and, man. and, uh, if you, if you'd like to share any, you know, employee turnover, turnover sure, data. sure. So like culture is everything, man. I think, um, you know, I think restaurant people in the restaurant business, it's, it's, uh, we're just not supposed to be successful. Like if you're a kid and you tell your parents, Hey, I'm going to be in the restaurant business. So like, are you kidding me? Like, when are you going to get a real job? I remember my parents, like, when are you going to get a real job? Stop doing that restaurant thing. What'd you go to college for? I'm like, Oh my God, you know, you can make money mom and dad. Right. But. Um, so there's that underdog mindset that we have at walk-ons, which is that, you know, the walk-on, you're the underdog. And so we kind of leverage that in our culture that, you know, um, everybody's got a story, team before self, about the name on the front, not the back. And so we corral everybody there um, because, like I said, we're just not supposed to be good, right? And even even our, our elected officials said we were unskilled workers at some point. So I'm like, Come, come work, come work on the line on a Friday night. I'll show you what's sure. here, but nobody's saying anything. Right. So, you know, but for us, uh, culture is everything, you know, the rumble is something, uh, it's really cool. And it, uh, I was just talking to somebody about it the other day. It's, it's authentic because it came from a point of like when we sucked the worst and <laughs> what we were doing and we'd opened a restaurant. It's 2011. You opened a restaurant in Lafayette and we'd never been known for our food and we were 50, 50 food, alcohol and, in Baton Rouge and we opened this first restaurant out of the market, but it was really, I was, I was still coming back and forth. It was my menu with Brandon, but we basically just amped it up fresh. Everything food was amazing. As we opened this restaurant, $7 million restaurant, we're doing 80% food Wow! and just getting our, getting our ass kicked honestly every day. And so, uh, the fourth day we were open, somebody, I don't know who did it said, we should start doing to go orders because we were like barely, keeping our head above water, not doing anything to go. And so I remember like seeing all these tickets and there's some, we had tickets. I'm like, what are all these tickets for to go? And like the, the guy on expo had like tickets wrapped around his wow. neck and like nobody knew where, what food was going, where I'm like, we are just like crashing and burning and people are pissed off. And I was like, man, I, I went up to the hostess and we put this little note on the door that said close for a gas leak. Um, we didn't have a gas, <laughs> leak, but it was the, it was the only way that we could get everybody out of the restaurant somewhat orderly fashion, and they didn't hate us. They were more like, oh, my God, are you guys going to be okay? Like, yeah, we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. We're worried about your safety. You know, and it's like they've got it contained back there. It's just more of a cautionary thing, you know. And uh, we emptied the restaurant out and just sat there and looked at each other like, man, we have got 
to stop being scared. We got to be better prepared. There were some things we needed to change and how we opened up. But like the biggest thing is like, man, we've got to come in here prepared to kick ass, not get our ass kicked every day. So that rumble was a release of frustration. So we busted plates, punched holes in walls. I mean, just like went nuts. So let's get it all out now. We closed at two o'clock. We were closed for the day. We may have drank a beer or two, but like, when we come in tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., we're going to be ready because we're going to we're going to kick ass. And so that rumble, we do it every day, twice a day at every restaurant, and it just signifies it's our it's our rally call to like let's kick ass. No, nah, it's cool. I really appreciate your ability to think on your feet. The gas leak was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a mentor that said, "Man, just shake stuff up," and I was like, uh, I remember texting him. I was like, "Guess what I did?" He's like, "Dude," I'm like, "It's like kind of sucks, but it was cool." Later, yeah, so. no, nah, very cool. Um, whatever you need to do to survive, right? Um, is there any, you know, employee turnover data that, that you're willing to share? I mean, has that, that kind of culture helped, helped you in that aspect? Yeah. You know, so I think, um, even go back to code and we, like it's still there, I guess. But like, you know, when you had to furlough all your people, you know, what a shitty word, like nobody like, but you had to basically let all your people go because you didn't have a job or a bartender or a, a server or a busser and most of your kitchen staff. And so. You know, we are a debt-free company when it happened. I remember having a conversation with Brandon and Drew Brees, one of our partners, like, guys, we're probably going to have a little debt, but we got to take care of our people. And, and uh, we, we uh, made sure we fed everybody every single day at every restaurant. Like, come get a meal, meal for your family. And we just kept in touch with them every week in a newsletter, what's going on, try to get them all on employment. I can remember talking to these third-party delivery guys, just getting our people set up to drive vehicles to deliver, so they just had jobs, um, you know. And then, then listen, uh, I'll give the credit. Randy Dewitt, his crew in Dallas, came up with Furlough Kitchen, uh, and I saw it. Actually, my wife saw it on Facebook or something. She's like, "Scott, check this out." So I hit up Randy. I said, "Man, I said I love your idea. I don't want to steal it, but can we partner? Because I want to get our people back to work too." And so he was like, "Yeah, we had a marketing." Remember, we had a marketing Zoom with his team and our team, and they're somewhat competitors. They own Twin mm-hmm. Peaks at the time, too. I'm like, let's just figure this out. And, uh, and gosh, I don't know, it's like 80,000 meals we've served with Furlough Kitchen. But all that being said, we talk about turnover. We got our people back to work. We didn't put a note on the door saying, call this number for your final check. We engaged. We stayed engaged. And, like, when we were able to hire people back, they came back. And the people that treated, like, their, their teammates like crap, came to us to work so we've not had an issue getting staffed up we don't have a now hiring banner in front of our restaurant but i know a lot do because we just treat our people right and then not turnover i mean everybody's got turnover i think um if we have turnover a lot of times um yeah we, we could hire the wrong person whatever but man i i think that uh, we go out of our way to try to figure out how we're going to impact somebody's life and that's like when I talk to our to our operators, I'm like, man, yeah, this is a rough business. If you if it doesn't have a higher purpose somewhere, like it's just kind of you get beat up, punched in the face a lot. You know, a lot a lot of uh, grace and appreciation. But you know, if you go back and see how you're creating a path for somebody and creating an environment where uh, the team is bigger than the individual and people just feel like they're part of something, even if they don't stay in the restaurant business, man, just having had some moment where you impacted that individual. So that's that's like such a mission with the team. So they don't typically leave. Yeah, um, they just feel like they're part of something cool, and we're gonna be there for them. So. Yeah, no, it's awesome. 
Um, how many units uh, do you have right now, and what's the split between the company-owned and franchise units? So we have 75 locations. We uh, opened in Auburn, uh, just outside of Auburn, Alabama, last month. Uh, we have 72 franchise, three corporate. Um, we had up to nine corporate, which we sold uh, strategically to franchise groups when they were coming in, so they kind of have a training location. Um, you know, but our, but our our plan is to continue to add some corporate locations because you got to skin in the game, and you know, uh, franchisees always wonder: Are you living off the top line, or do you understand what it's like to live off the bottom? And so, we've got to understand and, and reap the benefits and feel the pain, you know, so that we're making good decisions. But um, our, our strategy could be more kind of like getting into a newer market, maybe planting a flag and building out some corporate locations, and maybe you know working with a franchise group to take those over and then we'll go do it again. So we can because they need to understand the cost to build them, the cost to operate them, all that stuff, man. If you're, if you're just sitting on the sideline going, I know it's more expensive, you know, but you got to do it. Like we just need to be yeah. in it so we can feel it. So I think there's something to be said for building them, running them, selling them, building and running them, selling them as even being fully engaged in the cycle. Um, so that's kind of our strategy. Yeah. I think it's critical to have, uh, no, I, th- I think that's critical to having a healthy relationship with your franchisees for sure. Okay, so how fast are you growing? How many units are you looking to build this year? Um, are they, you know, how many of those are franchised? And I guess what percentage of franchisees opening units are coming from within your system? So uh, hopefully we'll open 15 to 18 this year. Um, and our pace, we'd love our pace to be at that 20. Um, because there's a lot that goes into opening a restaurant. We put a tremendous amount of support with, you know, 17, 18 people on the ground for three weeks. I mean, it's just a, we're in it. Right. And so, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's not, it's, it's quality versus quantity on that side. Um, but you know, early on, it was a lot of kind of somebody who knew somebody was the early franchisee. Um, but man, we've got, we've got, uh, folks that were, NFL athletes. It's interesting. Our deal is a uh, almost like we're matchmakers because you've got somebody who's got the net worth that wants to get in it, but they have no desire to run it. And then you've got somebody who's a seasoned restaurant executive that wants to kind of work for themselves, but maybe don't have everything to put it together to do the deal. And we kind of put them together and and it's kind of magic from there. So um, that's kind of where we really, we really focus on it. But yeah, I mean, corporate growth, I said, we'll do some things probably in 24, uh, but this year it'll be all franchise group. Okay, very cool. Um, what are you using to help inform your site selection? So we work with eSite Analytics, which kind of lays out, um, and, and they're a great program. There's a lot of them out there. Um, you know, the more the more data points and the more you have restaurants been open for a while, the better the data. Um, but the perfect scenario is a franchisee in the market that's from that market because at that point, honestly, the location's on almost kind of irrelevant as long as you can have good access. And you don't have to be off the interstate with a sign and, you know, we don't have a certain traffic count number you have to have because honestly, some of our most uh, best performing restaurants are in these tertiary markets where, you know, you're just kind of the big dog in town. And, and uh, so it really has, the franchisee has a lot to do with the site selection and the size of the market has a lot to do you know, with the franchisee too. And we love these little markets kind of growing. Yeah. And it's great if the franchisee has a connection already to, to that market, right? Cause community is so huge, right? It's a big part of what Chick-fil-A does, right? Absolutely. Man, they'll, they will outperform a corporate restaurant all day long because they're just, they're in it, man. And then even with think about COVID, you know, 
if you own it, your livelihood, everything's on on the line for you. Like you're you're resilient. You're innovating. You're out there. Like you're not taking anything put at you. You're going after it. And so that's why I think franchise systems with great franchisees survive. Man, they didn't just survive; they thrived because like <laughs> yeah. failure was not an option. Man, that's you've got you know everything on the line. So. I think that's what helped us quite a bit. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's, that's for sure, man. Restaurant, the restaurant industry and restaurant tours are definitely very resilient. They've they've proven that over the last few yep, few years, sure. if nothing else. I was going to say, you know, I think what's what's uh, pretty cool about our deal. So, you know, franchising. I think a lot of people get into it just because, like, oh, it sounds great, make a bunch of money, and you know, uh, you know, Drew Brees bought our company in 2015. Um, you know, the two founders separated in 2014, and so Brandon. Uh, stayed uh, here and uh, with us, but we were just talking about franchising. I'd come from a franchise background. Drew Brees was a franchisee with Jimmy John's, and so him coming in, I remember Drew, Brandon, myself, and our other partners sitting down just talking about, like, if we're going to franchise, you know, what do we want to do? And and I remember uh, Drew's agent talking about kind of their experience as a franchisee, and they had a good experience, but, like, you know, what were the points of pain with franchisees? And it's typically marketing money and then what do I have to buy and how much money you make it on the back end and what you make me buy. Right. And so it's like, why don't we, if we can come up with something that's transparent, there's no gotchas, you know, that they can see where their marketing money comes in and that all actually gets spent in marketing. It's not paying part of my salary or a yeah. bonus. It's like, it's media, it's media. And then we're getting supply chain. We're, ne- we're negotiating on your behalf. We're not making gumbo and then shipping and you got to buy it from us and market it up 10 bucks. Um, just being transparent and open and clean would be the way to start it. And then the other part being, man, like, let's build the infrastructure. Let's ho- let's let the hire for the vision, not the need. And the, the vision is be, you know, the best franchise ever possible. It means we got to get those people now, make sure they're the right culture fit. They don't flame out, that we need, that we have them on board before we have to have them. And so those were things that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout to, to Drew and Brandon and Rick and, at the time, just like, you know, we're, we're not going to make any money for a while, but let's build something on the front end so that it'll pay the dividends on the back end. And it really has because we've done very well today. But I think if we, if we not invested in all of that on the front end, culturally, support wise, we wouldn't be where we're at today. Very cool. Uh, is there any unit economic data that you'd like to share? Yeah. Well, sales, I can talk about that, right? Unless I'm going to disclose you with an FDD. So uh, uh, we're, we're, Excited to know. I, th- I think we have one of the, the, the leading kind of AVs in the industry. We're just shy of 5.1 million per unit. Um, so the economics yeah. are, are good at that volume, right? And, uh, you know, we, we focus on one thing we learned during COVID, um, which was crazy, is that you know, we opened restaurants with no dining rooms, which is crazy to go only because they were in a construction. They had to open. And then we opened, gosh, seven or eight with. 50% occupancy, you know, 25% occupancy, but we saw at 50, we were setting national sales records, like doing more volume with half the dining room shut down. Uh, so it was like, we don't need all these seats, number one. The kitchen was way more efficient. We could turn tables faster, get the food out faster. So, you know, from the 8,000 square foot model, we went to seven and now we even have a six. Um, just over 200 seats instead of 280 seats. And it generates the same volume, but the economics flow from the cost of labor to build it, everything just flows so much better. Um, so that's that's always our focus. Like, how do we what do we take out? We're not getting credit for, and then if we don't need that, let's just streamline it to 
to do it. So the economics are getting better and better and the sales are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, are there any tech upgrades that you're working on? And uh, can you talk about the process of selling franchisees on the benefits of uh, upgrading their technology early? Yeah, so I mean, every single piece of tech I think we're upgrading, changing this year. I mean, pretty much everything POS system, loyalty, uh, online ordering, order aggregator, order at the table, um, uh, Arcadia system in our kitchens. Uh, we are absolutely upgrading every single thing um, across the board. Um, what we were able to do was work with suppliers um, and incentives to, to fund most of that for our franchisees because it can be a yeah. big sticker. Shock, you know, but once again, you're, you're, you're working with the suppliers, like work with us here because one day we'll be here and like, let's have a long-term partnership. So we, we spent a lot of time figuring out how to get this to the franchisee, um, without, you know, hitting them with a big shock price tag. But listen, it's all been tested and vetted. So like, we know when you put in an online order aggregator and what that means, basically you've got Uber Eats, DoorDash, all these different things. And so unless you have an aggregator, you got all these tablets in your kitchen and you've got to take this order, then you got to transpose it and put it into your POS and there's errors and it's clunky. And, and when that aggregator hit man to go sales, boom, up. We went to handhelds with toast from Aloha. Um, table turn times went up faster. Um, the food got to the kitchen, it was less stressful. So like there's, there's a positive to every single thing we've done and the franchisees are just let's roll, you know, because they know that, you know, tech is going to be what drives functionality and efficiency. And so that's this year is all about functionality and efficiency. Um, But we have a whole side little thing going that's innovation, cool stuff on tech that how do we differentiate, you know, sports bar environment, 80 TVs. What can we do with tech to make, you know, when a game's not on, what are you doing inside the four walls to kind of, you know, create some things and AI like is, super weird. I don't know a lot about it other than it's like, can do everything. And so how do I get to know you that you're a, a Yankees fan and you like to eat out on Tuesdays and I connect with you somehow. And I just hit you up at the right time when you're thinking about me and you come in and we're always friends. And so there's just, there's this whole relationship that you can create with technology with customers. And it doesn't have to be about points and a free cheese fry. Once you spend a hundred bucks, you can do a lot. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And going back to, you know, and this kind of ties back to what you said earlier, how important it is to have some restaurants having some skin on the skin in the game. Right. So you can roll out the technology first yourself. Oh yeah. We're testing it all ourselves. We are experimenting on ourselves big time. And so, and they like that. Listen, we, we, punch ourselves in the face on a couple things too. And you know, they're, they're kind of like, okay, you know, giggling a little bit, but like, at least we did it to ourselves Yep. so that, you know, we don't want to, I mean, your, your integrity is everything, right? So you don't put something out there if you don't have it fully thought through and vetted and the data has got to support all the decisions you're making. Cause let's use a franchise or it's so easy to like, just here you go. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I think that's where you got these weird relationships with franchisors and franchisees, but man, they see the painstaking process we go through and, and that we make these decisions based on the data, not because it's something I like or the brand wants to do, or it's like, no, it's like, it's going to drive the business and here's what supports it. And, and, and then they're all in, you know, nobody likes to be told what to do unless they see the, you know, the benefit of it. Um, is, are you seeing yeah. financing tightening up at all for your, for your franchisees? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, 
depending on what you're trying to go after, there was a point, you know, when you look at real estate, there's ground leases. Ground leases are crazy because, you know, they own the dirt and you got to try to build on something which you can't finance. The, so those are always hard. Um, but it's not really. There's there's so many different ways to do it. And, um, you know, what, what's what been interesting and, and, you know, kind of a sad byproduct of once again, COVID is there's a lot of available real estate at former restaurants that are great locations. And, like, Man, our strategy, we can get in there and bring life back to a building that was a TGI Fridays or a different brand. And let's go in there and do that because it opens quicker. The economics are there. Um, it's less for the franchisee out of pocket. And we can get up and running. And, and those guys did a great job on real estate selection. Maybe their their brand just kind of lost its way over time. But And that's not a dog on Fridays. Like, I like Fridays. But, you know, there's just, just real estate available. So that's that's kind of gone after it. That is way more bankable. Um, cause you're doing equipment loans and renovation loans. You're not doing yeah. big takedown buildings. And, um, so we found creative ways to, to work it out. That's great. And, and I'm sure the fact that, you know, you have 75 units and you're growing your AUVs is, is helping as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, all right. So I recently read that small sliders, small sliders was spun out, uh, out of walk-ons. I had the pleasure of meeting, uh, Maria Rivera recently. We did a, a panel together. Um, Maria is awesome. Yeah, she's great, man. She's super sharp. Um, does Walk-On still have an investment in that chain or, or any of the other brands um, that the guys kind of created early on in the process? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. This was, you know, Brandon is the consummate entrepreneur of Brandon Landry. So this was his idea. Uh, and we helped him bring it to life in the first one here that opened in Baton Rouge. And, you know, uh, from just procedures and recipe, like just to kind of get it launched. Um but no, that's it's fully independent. Um, uh, it's a really cool brand, you know, with the uh, the, uh, the storage containers and, and that deal. The AVs there. I mean, like I said, Maria's a rock star. She's gonna do amazing things there. But no, we're just fans from the sideline. Uh, it's on my way home, so actually I eat too many of them. Um, I would say they're like healthy. I'd be lying. They're not, but they're delicious. So you know, they're uh, they've got a really cool brand and and. Uh, uh, single focus, which is even better, right? Burgers, fries, I think shakes, and you know, and that's that's pretty sweet. And they're doing some good volumes. So, but now we're uh, we'll launch. Now Brandon's got some other cool things he's developed. There may be another one down the line that will kind of help birth. Uh, but you know what? I'm happy we're focused. We used to, years ago we had uh, pizzerias called Schlitz and Giggles. We had Happy's Irish Pubs. We had nightclubs. We had catering companies, and it's nice to have one brand to focus on. Because we can put all our love, attention, and effort to, to drive walk-ons. And like I said, we'll just cheer from the sidelines for Marie and her team. They're going to kill it. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, and, and I guess going back to um, Brandon being the creative guy, is it true that the first walk-ons uh, didn't have a kitchen? <laughs> so, no, it's uh, – so, you know, part of that journey for those guys, you know, like walk-ons, traveling. But, so the story is traveling back from University of Tennessee uh, – think they got forget what the score was but LSU do not do well um so all the starters are sleeping you know Jack and Brandon are wide awake didn't play a minute so just started doodling on a napkin and of course you're 19 20 21 22 you're thinking about the bar and so like the drawing's kind of funny because you got like detail on where the TVs are going to go the pop a shot we're going to put helmets here all this stuff and like the dining room really the bar they drew pretty cool but not even an arrow to like kitchen this way or so you know like <laughs> That's kind of what happens when you open up. And, and like I said, the, the early days, um, they knew how to pour a crown of Coke, but 
getting burgers out of the kitchen on, you know, it was a journey. But, uh, yeah, so we like to tease, tease Brent about that, you know, that uh, that's why uh, the, early, the early years were a little rough because you can think about a kitchen. Nah, it's cool, man. But, uh, you know, it's, it's such a great story. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate that walk on mentality, man. You know, it's it's uh, it's great. And, and it's taken the chain really far. It's it's been uh, it's been great to see. Yeah, it just resonates, man. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got an underdog story. And, you know, and and you just kind of go through that. And like I said, you know, starting any kind of a business, you know, it's our 20th year. We're 20 years old in September. Most restaurants don't make it a year. You know, so to make it 20 years is a testament to the brand and, and really to Jack and Brandon the day to fight through those early years. And then, but man, we've got an amazing team we've built here now that truly that's where the, that's where the magic happens. It ain't me, dude. I'm just a guy on the, the, the zoom with you today, but like the rock stars are not on here today, but man, I, I couldn't be more proud of the team that works here and they're what's making this happen. And they're all underdogs, man. They all got their story. Everybody's got their deal here and, we're, we're pretty humble. I, I, I tell everybody, man, like we get a lot of accolades, but I'm like, do not get caught up in your headlines, man. Just keep your head down and stay focused. And you know, I used to tell them, let's try to suck less today than yesterday. <laughs> we're never really good. We're just going to suck less. Uh, and so kind of just stay humble, man. Like no egos, keep it light, you know, but never get caught up in your headlines for sure. Yeah, well, you're doing a great job Thanks. there, and you're doing a great job of staying humble. Uh, all right, we're gonna close out on a um, close out on a question about the NCAA tournament. Who do you have Oof. winning it? Uh, UConn, man. I'm so yeah. You know, I was. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Like I've got. I, depends which bracket you ask me about, but the walk-ons bracket, UConn. I actually happen to be in first place. So. All right. Nice man. Good there's luck. a bunch of people picked Alabama, so I'm just. And I've got Alabama going a little way, a little ways into it, but like as soon as they fall, man, like twelve people fall out of the bracket. So I'm like, yeah, for sure. See, I'm a I'm a Big East guy, Georgetown guy, and UConn with all their crazy chants and all that stuff. I, oh yeah, I, I, I had them dropping out in the first round. Obviously, I was very wrong, but I think that was more wishful thinking than anything. Yeah, dude, like, I'm a, I'm a Florida Gator. We didn't make it in the first round of NIT, you know. So like, yeah, motion. I'm not a UConn fan but like i don't know just they find a way to get it done man we'll see we'll see i'll i'll, I'll touch base with you when it's done see uh see if i pulled it off but. all right good luck man i'm rolling with ucla all right there you go there you go so all right well listen thanks again for doing this uh thanks for having me man this was fun appreciate yeah it. it was a lot of fun you're great um I'm, I'm excited to continue to follow all the success that walk-ons uh gonna continue to have moving forward uh, for our listeners, thanks for joining us. If you liked the episode, uh, please tap on the bell to subscribe and uh, don't don't be afraid to leave us a review. See you, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Scott. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.